Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Falcoholics post-game podcast for the 2019 season. Week 10, the Atlanta Falcons in New Orleans taking on our hated rivals, the Saints. Joining me as always is my co-host and fellow writer at the Falcoholic, Evan Birchfield. Also joining us for this podcast is my pal and longtime podcast co-host, Gina Thomas. Uh, Evan, how are you doing? Phenomenal. That was a tremendous <laughs> game. <laughs> And Gina, Gina, how are you doing? Yeah, I absolutely could not be better. And I know that I'm not typically a part of the post-game podcast, but my brand is calling the Saints trash. And this seems like the Saints lost to the one and seven Falcons. If that doesn't illustrate that they are trash, I don't know what does. Amen to that. So <laughs> for those who have not kept up or who maybe shied away from this game because the Falcons were winning seven. The Saints were seven and one. The Falcons won in New Orleans 26 to nine. It was a stunning, stunning performance uh, out of both teams, frankly, and we're going to dive into it. Um, Gene, I'm going to start with you first. We're going to start with the Falcons offense because I feel like, uh, you know, it's arguably a mixed bag, but I, I think there were a lot of good things that came out of this. Um, Matt Ryan, 20 for 35, 182 yards, two touchdowns, one INT. Brian Hill, uh, after Devontae Freeman went out with injury, 20 carries, 61 yards, uh, 3.1 average. Julio Jones, three receptions, 79 yards. So the stats really didn't – they weren't overwhelming uh, for the offense, but it felt like for what they wanted to accomplish against the Saints – they did what they needed to do. So tell me what your takeaway was from this Falcons offense today. Oh, did you say me? Yeah. Yeah. Gina, you cut out for a second Um, from the Falcons offense, you know, going into this game, I thought that if the Falcons could somehow manage to pull this off, it would definitely be some combination of just the offensive skill players playing up to their potential. I mean, you know, Matt Ryan is consistently, putting up good numbers even when the team doesn't win. Austin Hooper has emerged as one of, of the top receiving threats um, as a tight end in the entire league. You know, obviously Julio is probably not even human. I'm pretty sure that he's some kind of alien uh, who just happens to be very good. At- <laughs> I really thought that it would be that. And then instead, you know, it was not. I mean, the Falcons played, I guess, an adequate game. Um, and they had a few mm-hmm. surprising plays that were really exciting you know like julio was kind of stifled for most of the game but had the big you know 50 plus yard reception um brian hill with the touchdown reception like that was pretty impressive hooper had generally a good game across the board as he tends to do these days but yeah i mean it really the offense was much less of a factor instead of 
you know, putting it all out there and, and getting it done, you know, putting the team on their back, they did just enough and it was fine. Um, you know, that's not a situation this often finds themselves in very often. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Evan, uh, offense, who stood out to you? What, what were your takeaways from this game? Yeah, I mean, Brian Hill obviously looked pretty good coming in for Freeman. Uh, Hooper was reliable as he's been in past weeks. Um, I think what really stood out is there wasn't like really one person who was being forced the ball. Uh, Ryan kind of spread it out to everybody, uh, which, yep. you know, it, it's Very good important. to see because, you know, Julio, they're going to probably sit there and act like he got shut down or bring up that Lattimore was gone in, you know, the second half or whatever. But like he still had 79 yards, like he still had a good day. Um, and when you compare it to like their numbers, they, I mean, Michael Thomas had 14 targets. Like our highest targeted re re uh, receiver was Julio Jones with nine. Like we weren't forcing the ball to one person. Um, it, you know, it was just everybody played well. Even the offensive line. I mean, McGarry against uh, Jordan was just tremendous. Like, yeah, I, I, you can't speak volumes of how well the offensive line played. I mean, considering a lot of people probably thought they were going to be dominated in this game and they didn't seem dominated at all. Yeah. Uh, and Gina, I know you've got a story on this because, and we were talking during the game in the Falcoholic chat that we have going on during the games, that one of our um, regular readers um, uh, tweeted that uh, Jordan had basically been shut down by McGarry. And that has not been the case in the past. And McGarry has, you know, uh, it, no, no disrespect to Ryan Schrader, but when he was here, like Jordan owned him. Yeah. And today, Jordan was a non-factor. And I know you've got a story there. So do you want to tell the fans what your interaction was and your, your history with this, this particular matchup? I do have a personal anecdote here. And I, I want to preface this by saying that as much as I hate the Saints, I don't hate the players. Um, I hate the team. I really don't care for Sean Payton. But as far as like personal animosity toward the players, they, the Saints have a lot of players that I actually like. Um, Cam Jordan is one of those guys. Like Cam Jordan can troll people in a fun way on the internet pretty much as well as I can. And so, you know, I got to respect that hustle. Um, and so that's what Cam Jordan did to me during the draft when the Falcons had, or when the Saints had zero first round picks because of Marcus Davenport. Um, <laughs> I responded to him because he was making fun of the Falcons choosing two offensive linemen. Right. And his response to me was, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of, you know, yeah, we didn't have a first round pick, but based on who y'all took, you didn't either. Well, Cam, I was <laughs> that one of those players really shut your ass down today. Okay. And <laughs> that was, like I said, I mean, Cam Jordan was not trying to be rude. He was not trying to do anything but have fun on the internet. So I don't take that personally, but I do think it's kind of funny that it didn't really work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> it really did not. And again, you know, it, and I have a ton of respect for Cam Jordan because he is arguably one of the more underrated pass rushers in this league. He is constantly a disruptive force. Um, if he was a guy who was on the Falcons, I would be ecstatic to have him on the team. Um, and he has you know, performed very well against Atlanta in the past, but he was a non-factor today. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, especially for McGarry, who... Uh, has not had as great of a rookie season as you maybe would want. 
for him to bounce back after the bye week and to perform the way he, he did. And, and, you know, Evan, to your point, the entire offensive line to have the game that they did, not just McGarry, but the entire offensive line, I think was a huge deal. Ryan did not spend nearly as much time on his back as we're used to seeing. The Saints came into this game uh, ranked in the top 10 in sacks. So they were, you know, a, a team that could get to the QB. The Falcons were a team that let people get to the QB. Um, this definitely encouraged them to get to the QB. Like, <laughs> or am I in your way? Let me step aside so you can maul my quarterback. <laughs> Please let me stamp your ticket as I let you through. Um, it, this felt like an offensive performance for the Falcons that defied the the matchup on paper. So, and I want to highlight that because I feel like this is an important thing to reiterate for fans of the NFL. And it, it is one of the things I, I absolutely love about the pro football game is that rivalry games never ever go according to script. It does not matter what the records are. Um, and I'm going to point back because uh, I grew up in a Dallas Cowboys um, household. My mother is still to this day a huge Cowboys fan. And there was a season where they went 1-15, and and it was in the rebuilding phase early on before the dynasty years. Um, they went 1-15. and Their one win, the one win they had that season was against the Washington Redskins, their hated division rivals. And they should not have won that game. But it just reminded me that when it comes to these types of games, forget the stats. Forget the records. Forget the matchups. Um, everything goes out the window when it comes to rivalry games. And frankly, um, I'm I'm content with that. So, Gina, I want to get your opinion on this before we move on to the defense because I feel like there's a lot to talk okay. about with the defensive performance. For sure. Yeah, but I've seen a lot of people say that you know when we interact with fans on Twitter before and during the game, one of the big debates was. You know, would you rather suffer a, a loss to the Saints and potentially get a player like Chase Young in a 2020 draft? Or would you rather get that win against your hated rival and potentially lose out on that draft position? So I'm going to ask both of you this. Gina, I'll start with you. What is your take on the whole idea of losing against the Saints for draft position versus beating a rival? I would rather be forced to be a Browns fan for the rest of my life than lose to the Saints. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that is dark. Because I don't give a fuck about draft position. I do not care. I want to beat the Saints, especially when the Falcons are one and seven and they were, or when now the Falcons are two and seven and now they are seven and two. You know, going into this game, we had inverse records and I just expected the Saints to, to mollywop the Falcons. Like, this is a delight. I cannot, I could not be happier about how this game went. And I always, always, always want to beat the Saints. That is the nature of a rivalry. And I've never cared much about tanking, especially in professional sports. Like, I think that. As a professional, you should hold yourself to a higher standard. So I've never been one to support the idea of tanking for draft position, even if that might mean that we could get Chase Young, go Bucks, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I would rather, I would rather do almost anything than lose to the Saints, and I mean that very sincerely. <laughs> Evan, your thoughts on tanking yeah. versus beating your rivals? 
Yeah, um, I totally agree with what Gina said. Um, you, For one, it's important to remember that the team does not give a shit what any of us think. Um, yep. they, a lot of the players are playing for jobs potentially next year. The coaching staff especially, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, their seat's a little less hot, I guess, right now. But like before this game, it was red hot. I think we can all agree on that. They're not going to, what What would tanking do for them? They're going to be unemployed probably next year. Um, so I'm not sure where, where they would even get orders to start tanking from and why they would listen to it. Uh, it it's like, you know, it makes sense for like a team like Miami where their head coach, regardless of the record, was probably safe just because that team was garbage. But we have a good team. Um, I, I don't agree with the notion of tanking for a better draft pick. Like, because like Gina said, it's basically like what the Browns suffer through every year. And yeah. if I wasn't a Falcons fan, I think I would just be a Saints hater and not have a favorite team and just follow whoever the Saints <laughs> are playing each week and cheer for the opposing team. Because I hate them. Like, as much as I love the Falcons and I'm a lifelong fan, I hate the Saints equally. And that says a lot because they're just, they're terrible. And their fans are terrible. And th- today felt great. Like, I don't give a shit about the offseason. This season has sucked. <laughs> and today has given us kind of like, like rejuvenation like i don't care like i'm excited you know we're what are we now two two and seven two and seven two and seven like that i mean most teams like are freaking banging their head against the wall but i feel excited i'm like ready to go because this is what we thought we would see this year and for some reason we haven't until the saints game in new orleans where i told dw before the show I i would never bet against the falcons but if i was forced to I would have bet everything I owed that we would have lost today. I wouldn't have, you know, not cheered for the Falcons, but like I did not see a win, and I don't know how it happened. But <laughs> Gina, I do, anything add I do to that? Add one thing. Um, so my friend Fooch from work, he is the editor in chief at our new partnership with DraftKings, um, SB Nation, and DraftKings started a new thing called DK Nation. If it's a great thing to check out if you play DFS or if you're interested in gambling or whatnot, but Fooch wrote something earlier this week that cracked me up because it was so accurate. And what he called this game was the Falcons Super Bowl. And y'all, the Falcons just won their Super Bowl. <laughs> really, that much to me. This is one of those games that I will, I will genuinely never forget this win. I mean, this is really one of the best, one of the most important wins I've seen this team pull off since I became a fan of the Falcons in 2005. And I, I'm not yep. exaggerating. I, I'm really not. I mean, this one really meant a whole hell of a lot, especially in a lost season, especially when the Falcons are so bad, because the only thing funnier than the Falcons beating the Saints at home is a really shitty Falcons team beating the Saints <laughs> I love it so much. I just, I love it. Oh, <laughs> uh, and you know, Saints fans are just dreading this because they thought this was going to be an easy win. Well, Everything yeah. on yeah, everything on paper said they were going to walk away with this one, but they did not. Absolutely. But see, I wouldn't know that because when they lose, they're so quiet. And so blowing <laughs> <laughs> for them where Saints fans would typically be. Um, and that's another thing that I'm truly enjoying about it. I'm not going to lie. um so with that before we wrap up the talk about the the falcons offense i do want to point out some of the notable statistics we did see christian blake um who recently got signed to the active roster pull in two catches for 15 yards including a key third down conversion 
Uh, Julio Jones, three receptions, 79 yards. Calvin Ridley, three for 28. Russell Gage, four for 23. He is becoming more a factor in this offense. Uh, Austin Hooper, four for 17 and the touchdown. Uh, and one of the things I do want to point out, Hooper did go out with a knee injury, did not return. So we'll be keeping an eye on that during the next week. Pay attention to thefalcoholic.com for updates on injuries. So before we get into the defense and what they did in this game, which was stunning to say the least, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back on the Falcoholics post-game podcast for the 2019 season, week 10. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by my normal co-host, uh, Evan Birchfield, and my pal and longtime po- podcast co-host, Gina Thomas. We're talking about the Falcons' impressive 26-9 win over the Saints in week 10 over uh, the Saints in, in the NFC South. Their first NFC South game in New Orleans uh, it's really, I'm still sort of stunned by it. And we're going to talk about the defense in this half of the podcast. So Evan, I'm going to start with you here. This was something I think for Falcons fans coming into this game, the Saint, the Saints had arguably, as they usually do, one of the best offenses in the league with Drew Brees, a, a future Hall of Famer, Sean Payton, the, you know, the man who sold his soul to the devil for a, a, a good offensive playbook. And the the Falcons' defense, which was one of the worst in the league coming into this game, absolutely shut them down. I mean, it, it if you look at Drew Brees, you know he had thirty two for forty five for two hundred eighty seven yards, no touchdowns. He didn't throw a single touchdown. Um, Alvin Kamara four carries, twenty four yards. Um, Michael Thomas thirteen receptions for one hundred fifty two yards, but no touchdowns. What was your takeaway, Evan, from this Falcons defense and what they did on the road, especially given the fact that this was a defense that coming into this game was one of the worst in the league? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously the big monster day Grady Jarrett had really stood out. He, you know, and Mm. Vic Beasley got credit. He technically, I I would have marked it as three sacks, but he's got two and a half because he kind of whipped Breeze down and Vic Beasley kind of touched his helmet, I guess, and got credit for a half sack, but Vic did end up having a sack later on um, of his own, and Adrian Claiborne had a sack, Devon J. Campbell had a sack, so I think that's like six total sacks, which we went a um, couple games without a sack, so it, it's bizarre, but I'm glad they finally decided to show up in a game like this. Um, I think what really stood out was how the Saints basically, and I haven't you know, obviously watched a lot of Saints games this year. But based on this game alone, they looked very one-dimensional. And I don't know if that's because our defense was elite today or what, because Kamara was non-existent. Like, you'd almost yep. forget he was there. Like you said, four carries, 24 yards. That's insane. Latavius Murray, who has stepped in for Kamara because he was out for a couple games uh, with an injury. Uh, Latavius Murray had more carries. He had five carries, but he only had 12 yards. 
Uh, so yep. terrific job by the Falcons run defense. And as you mentioned, Breeze, you know, threw the ball 32 times. Michael Thomas had 13 receptions for 152 yards, but nobody else really did anything for him. Uh, Kamara, you know, he did catch eight balls for 50 yards, but like, I mean, Jared Cook was their next highest receiver. If anything, the Saints should be nervous because today pretty much showed that they can't just force Michael Thomas the ball. You know, they it's always mentioned how many receptions he has. I think he's he's like the first or the fastest uh, through nine games to I think he was at like 81 receptions or something in the third quarter, yep. which is like a record. Um, but I mean, that's cool. But you got your ass whooped like you're not going to be able to just force one dude the ball the whole time and get a W. And we, and, 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 you know, credit. Credit to our defense, but they are bad, and and we, they showed up today. You know, it, it was – I mean, it was amazing. And the Saints have, you know, you can ask people around the league probably one of the better offensive lines. So, you know, tremendous yeah. job by the defensive line. And, you know, I, I think it's an argument that's been had lately while people are talking about draft, uh, draft takes is what's better, uh, focusing on the secondary or the pass rush. And I think the pass rush – you know, and the run defense certainly helped the secondary today because out of the gate, I mean, there was there was some struggles, but the secondary overall played very well, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it, Gina, Evan made some great points. Um, the whole secondary versus the pass rush seemed almost irrelevant today. We yeah. were without Desmond Trufant. Trufant was out. He was not even active for this game. You had Isaiah Oliver um, and Kendall Sheffield, two young guys in this secondary who arguably played really, really good uh, for this game. Yeah. You know, ignore the stats, and you, you sort of have to look at the performance. What was your takeaway from this defensive and maybe this defensive performance, and maybe what some of the takeaways were that maybe Falcons fans can think about going into 2020 and beyond? So one thing that I think is that we, we need to touch on is the fact that Dan Quinn did make a couple of changes on the defensive side of the ball this week. Um, yep. He moved Raheem Morris from wide receivers coach over to the defensive backs. And Morris comes from, you know, a long background of defensive coaching. He played safety when he was still playing, um, has coached, you know, defensive backs specifically, and obviously has a lot of experience even as a head coach. But um, moving him back over to the to the secondary and specifically asking him to focus on communication, I think helped. And I think that, you know, one thing that um, it's, it's worth mentioning is that it's secondary play really has a very significant impact on the pass rush. If you can't yeah. cover, then if you can't cover long enough to give your pass rush time to get there, like I remember years ago, this was probably, you know, 2014 or so talking to Desmond Trufant about this. And he's like, Look, you know, they're asking me to cover for 10 seconds because the pass rush couldn't get home. And that's not sustainable. Yep. Not a thing that you, you're not going to see results like we saw today with that. But I mean, the, the secondary really did play better and it gave the pass rush time to get home. And so I think that I think that Quinn really deserves to be commended for making those changes. You know, I think that when you're looking at an NFL head coach, and obviously there's got to be some ego involved there. So for him to have the humility to say, okay, well, this isn't working, so I'm going to shift things around. I'm going to let Jeff Ulbricht, the linebackers coach, essentially take over as defensive coordinator. And I'm going to move Raheem Morris, who's done a good job with the right receivers. I'm going to move him to work with the cornerbacks because I think that he can help get them up to speed. 
I think that we saw the results of that today. I think that, and I think that Quinn does deserve credit for making those decisions because like I said, that's not an easy thing to do as a head coach. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that those were two big factors. I've been really impressed with Oliver's development and with Sheffield, especially. I think that he stepped in. Yeah, I don't yell, God damn it, Sheffield, very much at all. <laughs> but he's playing. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, it just was, but let's talk about this just for a quick second. The Falcons had seven sacks coming into this game and they had six today. So let's just, I don't even really want to discuss it. Like, I just want to put that out there and revel in it. That is fucking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Like his face every time (laughs) Grady Jarrett was coming up the middle looked like the grimacing emoji. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. What a wonderful day. Oh, truly. Yep. Six sacks. Um, Devondre Campbell had one, Vic Beasley one and a half, Grady Jarrett two and a half. Again, and for the fans out there who interacted with me on Twitter earlier in the season that said Grady Jarrett was overpaid, um, you can piss off. This man is amazing. He deserved every penny he got, and this game was just another emphasis on that. Um, and then Adrian Claiborne added that additional sack to take us to sticks. Uh, Gina, as you mentioned, I do feel like, to add my two cents, Kendall Sheffield had a very strong game, and I'm I'm curious to see what you know, Pro Football Focus says about his game. But he played really well. He had the one really nice pass breakup. Um, I think towards the middle of the game that uh, ended one of the Saints' drives or set them up for a third and long. He has slowly been developing in his rookie season, and again. Corner is one of those positions in the NFL that takes a while to develop. There are a lot of guys that it's year three, year four before they really you know, show their true selves in the NFL. And I think fans should be excited about what Sheffield has shown just early on in his rookie season. And, and that is with him not even having started at the beginning of the season. He really has just been inserted in the past several weeks and he's shown a lot. Uh, and Gene, you mentioned Isaiah Oliver. I feel like uh, fans have been piling on for him, but he has been fantastic uh, against you know stopping the run and tackling. He has been one of our more sure tacklers, and I feel like his coverage has getting better. I, I want to see where these guys go in the second half of the season, going I- again into 2020 and what it means for the, the future of this team. But one thing I want to posit to both of you is this conversation about Dan Quinn, because Gina, you sort of mentioned that uh, in your you know synopsis of what happened with the defense dan quinn obviously is on the hot seat arguably this game gives him a little bit more time than what he had coming into it um can you see a scenario now where if he repeats this performance where he has made some tough decisions where he has moved guys around on the coaching staff uh he has swallowed his pride if you will in being the defensive coordinator and has turned that over to Jeff Ulbrich. Can you see a scenario potentially where the Falcons finish out strong and Quinn retains his position as head coach? Gina, I'll start with you on that tough question. Yeah. And I mean, look, fans aren't going to like what I'm about to say, but honestly, it's not my job to tell you what you want to hear. Um, If Dan Quinn is able to make these changes, if they're able to play like this consistently through the end of the season, 
the players love him. Arthur Blank has made it very clear that while Quinn is on the hot seat, that he is going to give him as much leash as he possibly can to turn this Mm -hmm. around. If the Falcons can turn this around, and I know, like, I can already envision the mentions I'm going to get from this, like, oh, it's going to mess up our draft position. And, like, I know, (laughs) I, I am fully aware. I'm not saying that I endorse the idea or that I think it's the right thing to do, but... All I'm telling you are the facts behind this. Arthur Blank understands that the players love Dan Quinn. If you think that the Falcons' performance today didn't have a whole hell of a lot to do with this team not wanting Dan Quinn to be fired, you are out of your damn mind. They are stepping up in part because of that. And the fact that Quinn had the humility to take a step back and make some changes that actually it's it's one week. It's a small sample size, but it's a pretty big fucking week, okay? They just beat yeah. The Saints. Uh, that's huge. And so I think that, um, yeah, I think that today really suggests that Dan Quinn may be able to save his job. You know, is this performance sustainable? Um, we'll find out over the next few weeks. But based on what we saw today, the amount of fight that was in these Falcons players and just knowing that behind that is the motivation to try to play well enough to keep Dan Quinn's job. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there is a path for Dan Quinn to be the coach of the Falcons in 2020. There you go. Evan, your thoughts on this performance and what it could mean for Dan Quinn and going into 2020. Yeah, just to piggyback off what Gina said, um, I think also Arthur Blank loves Dan Quinn because I don't think if he didn't like him at all, he wouldn't still be here. Like he's pretty much giving him the benefit of yep. the doubt, I think up to this point. And you know, the, uh, I can't remember which game it was, but that game where apparently Julio, you know, we don't get to see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. So I thought it was interesting. Um, Julio apparently had some sort of speech or whatever. And apparently Arthur Blank was in there. So what Gina's saying is true. The, the players love Dan Quinn. Like you don't speak up for a coach who you're obviously losing, you know, and probably going to get fired. You don't do that unless you like them. Would you stick up for your boss like that? I mean, because that's basically what it is. And the players love him. I think uh, Blank loves him. And, you know, I I don't know if anybody is as happy as Blank this week. He probably won't be hammered with, are you going to fire Dan Quinn questions this week? Um, (laughs) Right. But, I mean, realistically, like, I mean, I've said it every week. I I really like Dan Quinn. I like his, you know, I, I know his, like, shirts and all that is a little cheesy, but... Like, I think this guy believes in this stuff and you, you got to kind of respect yeah. it. Like, yeah, it's cheesy as hell, but at the same time, you don't want like what the Jets are dealing with, like Adam Gase, who's just seems like he's living in his own little world. Like Dan Quinn's all about winning. <laughs> um, he may be failing at it largely this year, but, you know, I mean, could the team turn around and keep him? I mean, I'd, I'd love to see it. If they finished, I mean, eight and eight or seven and nine, they're going to have a real discussion on their hands because... That, that's not, I mean, it's not like you won only one game or something, you know, in, in the NFL too, over the years, I think teams are very fire happy where they just want to get rid of a coach the second the team's suffering. And, yeah. you know, maybe that isn't the case if the team finishes pretty strong. But I mean, I think it's worth noting um, the Falcons are the only undefeated team in the NFC South. So he's doing a pretty damn good job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If the Falcons do man- manage to finish, like even with six wins after starting one and seven, I think that you have to objectively look at that and acknowledge that 
leadership has something to do with that. I mean, yeah. we're, a long, we're a long way from that discussion. You know, the Falcons were in a week ten. Who went? Those wins was a goddamn delight. Like I don't want to get ahead of myself, but yeah, I mean, I think that if they can keep up this level of performance, um, yeah, there's going to be a conversation that will be legitimate. You know, just writing Quinn off. After the performance we saw today, I, that's not something that I can do. Yeah, and I, I think it, we all fans have sort of a recency bias. You know, we we look at 2018, the injuries, the rough season we had there, the the you know sort of top ten finish for a draft pick. Uh, this season obviously has started horribly, um, and clearly fans were ready for the team to move on from Dan Quinn. But I think if you look at the the NFL in general and look at, you know, coaches that have been coaching for a long time, they don't have, you know, uh, perfect records. You know, you look at someone like uh, a Bill Belichick in New England, he is the outlier. But if you go beyond him and you look at guys like uh, Harbaugh in Baltimore, he has had seasons where they didn't make the playoffs where you know they had some rough seasons they had to rebuild a little bit um and the team stuck with him regardless of the you know the the losing season or seasons that they had and i think that's something to keep in mind if dan quinn can use this as a bounce back point for the second half of the season let's say the falcons finish six and ten seven and nine in that range if they do that i i think it is not unreasonable to think that that Arthur Blank says, okay, you can have another season. Let's see what you do. And I know there are a lot of fans that are gonna be extremely upset with hearing that. And I get it. But the thing is, in the NFL, the next coach is not a guarantee. And that is the thing to keep in mind. It, it, just because you bring in a new coach does not mean you're gonna go to the Super Bowl, does not mean you're gonna suddenly win a bunch of games. Uh look at the Jets. And you know, you you, you bring up you know Adam Gase and what he has done there. He was someone who was considered to be you know one of the hot coaching candidates. Um, you know after Peyton Manning was done in 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 Denver, and arguably his time in Miami was a little bit you know up and down. And now the Jets are maybe even worse than the Dolphins. It is no sure thing that the coach that you bring in is going to suddenly make this team a better team than they were before. And here's the thing about the Falcons. 2016, they went to the Super Bowl. 2017, I, I feel like fans forget this. They had a winning record. They went to the playoffs. They beat the Rams at home. And they were one pass away from going back to the NFC Championship game. And I know there are a lot of fans that are done with Dan Quinn. I understand it. I get it. But if he continues to show improvement and humility the one thing you want to see from a coach is that he can learn and grow from the experiences that he encounters during his time as the guy in charge. And I will admit to being a, a huge proponent of Dan Quinn because I like the way he does things. Uh, he invests in the players. He is someone that puts uh practical application onto the field during the practices as opposed to what Smitty did, which was a lot of film room type of stuff. So I want him to succeed. This season has been extremely disappointing for me personally. This win feels like if they can build on this, 
this will be the game that we look back on and say, all right, Dan Quinn earned his second breath with this team based on what he did in New Orleans in week 10 in 2019. Um, so final thoughts, you know, obviously this was a huge win for the Falcons. The Saints are not going to be, you know, they're seven and two. They're, they're, they're still at the, the head of the division. This is a bump in the road for them. But for the Falcons, this feels like a much bigger win. So, Evan, I'm going to go to you with some final thoughts before we wrap up this podcast. Yeah, um, I just wanted to add to what you were saying. You know, uh, look at the Saints since we played them today. Um, they were good. And then 2014 to 2016, they had three straight years of going 7-9. and nine. And, it, you know, if that happened to Dan Quinn, Falcons fans would obviously be calm for his head. But then you look at 2017 to 2018, and they won what twenty four? They went twenty four and eight so far. It, you know, and that's not counting the twenty nineteen season where they're probably going to make the playoffs. So coaches do dip, and that doesn't mean that you know they should get fired because the Saints gave up on Sean Payton. You know, from that as I mentioned that twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen stretch. You know, who knows what situation they're in, and they're you know playoff bound you know, for probably the third straight year. And they are a good team, you know, nothing. It's not that they suck today. We really just played well. Um, And, you know, kudos to the Falcons, you know, the players and the staff, like they, they really played their ass off today. Um, But yeah, Yeah. I mean, I just don't see, uh, I mean, if the Falcons go seven and nine or even eight and eight, um, like, I don't see how you can just fire Dan Quinn. Now, if it ends like four and 12 or something, yeah, then, you know, probably. But, you know, seven and nine to me said, especially after the poorest start they had, that shows that the players played for him and the team was at least trying, even when they're literally against the wall here. Um, And today they shouldn't, by statistics and stuff, like prior to the game, they shouldn't have won. And they really played their ass off for him. So, you know, you don't want to piss off the players either, especially guys like Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. And you want to keep that kind of mold where you don't want to get rid of, you know, get Matt Ryan, another offensive coordinator to have to deal with. You know, it seems like a year by yearly, basically, at this point. So, uh, yeah, I mean, good win. And then, you know, you the like fun little stats, like the last time a I think it's the last time a one in seven team beat a seven and one team was 2003. So it's like, you know, suck on that. Uh, just enjoying it, man. I, I, I just, I just think of like when the playoffs, like when we were in the playoffs in one, like I'm at that level of excitement, like I'm thrilled, but you know. <laughs> Gina, your final thoughts on this game and, and what it means really for 2019 and beyond. Well, David, earlier in this game, like while the game was still going, things were looking promising for the Falcons. And I said, you know, I want to be on the post-game podcast and I want it to mostly be just me laughing about how the Saints are trash. And so I would like to close an argument. <laughs> Literally cracking up laughing how the Saints are going to have to be the subject of every NFL talk show this week. Every single day. <laughs> Every sports radio talk show across the fucking country is going to talk about how the Falcons, the, the Falcons who had one win in this game, beat the Saints who had one loss at home, at home with their loud ass <laughs> in their loud ass stadium. And Drew Brees got sacked six times, six times. That's one. <laughs> 
Hawkins has had all season. They just lit him the fuck up. It was such a, such a disaster. I mean, can you imagine losing to a one and seven team? Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be as a playoff caliber team? And what does that say about their chances in the playoffs? Which I think that we all already have a pretty realistic expectation there. There will be some kind of massive mistake by the Saints that knocks them out earlier than they would like to be knocked out. So we all know that's coming, a la the Minnesota miracle and you know the the debacle. <laughs> A million lawsuits and complaints on the on the floor of the uh, House of Representatives last postseason, but yeah, <laughs> and the team is suck at Saints. Your team is trash, and you lost to a legitimately <laughs> terrible Falcons team at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and this, folks, is why we brought Gina onto the post game podcast, without a doubt. Um, so, got it, and it's a fucking miracle. I'm so happy. <laughs> just to add, <laughs> just to add to that, the Falcons are now 53 and 40, 53 and 40 against the, the Saints all time. Um, and this game just added to that record. So, Gina, you were you're absolutely dead on. This is one of those. Um, we, we've we've absolutely got to celebrate this. It's been a rough season, and you know I, I think any fans who are sort of dismayed with how the season has gone, obviously you have every right to be. But let's celebrate this win: twenty six to nine. The Falcons on the road in New Orleans beat the seven and one Saints, send them to seven and two. Um, this was. At minimum, just one of those games where uh, even if the season doesn't go right, you can walk away with a smile on your face for the rest of the week knowing that your team uh, showed up and beat the rival in their home. So, uh, Evan, final thoughts before we wrap up this podcast. Um, I mean, additionally, I I think it's worth noting that, you know, a lot of the talk recently about Austin Hooper because of the trade deadline that past um you got to resign him he he apparently tied tony gonzalez's record i think four straight games with a um touchdown for the falcons like at the tight end position like i don't know what else he has to do for fans to stop being like oh it's garbage points and all this nonsense like matt ryan finally has a reliable tight end again since tony gonzalez left and you want to get rid of him like you you want to pay him less than you're paying vic beasley each year like i don't (laughs) understand it um, but that's my final thought. Um, you know, enjoy the week. Like it, that felt like a playoff win. It, it felt like that time. Uh, I think it was the Panthers who were undefeated and we gave them their first loss. Right. Yep. Yep. That, I, I can't remember what 15. year that was, but it's like, it's that kind of win where it's like, it just feels good. And like, I'm ready. <laughs> Gina, final thoughts before we wrap this up. My final thoughts are the saints are trashed and they can <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally could not say that any better um so on that note guys uh, this wraps up our post-game podcast for the falcons 26 to 9 win in new orleans against our rivals the new orleans saints 
you can find Gina on Twitter at Gina Thomas, J E A N N A Thomas at G, uh, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and you can find Evan. Uh, sorry guys, the vodka is kicking in. Uh, you can find That's Evan okay. on Twitter um, at Evan Birchfield. And of course you can find me at Falcoholic DW. So guys, thanks for tuning in. Oh, I just want to ask real quick. Is Gina going to come back when we beat them on Thanksgiving? Oh, hell yes. Oh, Oh, hell okay. yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. See that, folks? Something to look forward to. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. absolutely. I will be here definitely yelling about how the Saints are a giant dumpster fire. I can't. <laughs> <For that end. laughs> Without a doubt. Uh, as if you had to ask. Um, so, uh, as for me, guys, you can find me on the Falcoholic uh, DW on Twitter, and you can find all of us at thefalcoholic.com so for Evan Birchfield and Janet Thomas this is David Walker thank you guys for tuning in stick with us guys this is going to be a very interesting finish to the season Uh, we will talk with you next time